Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's Thursday, September 29th, and we're going to talk about a number of things, different little topics, but we're going to end it with how to prevent youth suicide and what we can do to prevent youth suicide. Before we get into that, I just want to share a few anecdotes with you. One, I had this meeting set up with a friend via the phone for three o'clock, and it comes around 305, 310. I call them, I text them, it goes straight to voicemail. Nothing's happening in terms of, res- of a response on their part. And I can find myself becoming enraged. I'm so upset. I'm like, they don't respect my time. They don't respect me. This is why I don't set these kind of things up. I was absolutely livid on the inside. Outside, I'm making tea. I'm reading a book. But I'm boiling up inside. like those cartoon characters that's just turning red from the feet up. 325 comes around, nothing. Finally, 3.30, I get a response that they're in a meeting. It ran over, and they're sorry. And so I respond, thank you for the text response. My cortisol levels were skyrocketing. Chest tightening. Call me when you're ready. In the future, and so I send, I send that text, and then they respond, so sorry that occurred. I should have sent you a text, you know, my bad, my day got delayed, this got pushed back, et cetera, et cetera. So now my cortisol levels are lowering. I feel grounded, centered, I feel seen, heard, validated. But there was still a piece of me that was on edge, and I couldn't figure out what it was. So I talked to my therapist, uh, uh, Dr. Blah, blah, blah. And she said, well, the thing I was missing from my text message was that at the end, I needed to put what my expectations were for the future. So my text should have read, thank you for the text response. My cortisol levels were skyrocketing, chest tightening. Call me when you're ready. In the future, if you're running late, please let me know before the start of our meeting via text or phone call. I'd actually prefer a two to three hour heads up if that's not unreasonable. So to state, you know, so to do three things, right? When we are in a heightened state of emotional distress, One is to, you know, I responded with a thank you for the text message. But two is to then let the person know what our emotional experiences are. And then three, because I talked about my rising cortisol levels and my chest was tightening. And then three, what do we expect? What kind of behavior do we expect in the future? so that this doesn't happen again. Setting our expectations, right? And I bring this up because so many of us, this will tie into when we're talking about preventing suicide in the youth. So many of us struggle with emotional distress, anger, rage, frustration. And we, ch- we have a, we are challenged with expressing that in a way that doesn't destroy our relationships, that doesn't end our friendships, that, that it, where it doesn't ruin our career and everything that, I don't know why our is such a tough word for me to say right now, but uh, where it doesn't ruin our career or just make things worse. And so this formula of 
thanking the person for finally showing up or, or doing what they did. Thank you for taking out the trash. I could feel my neck start to swell and my eyes gaining tunnel vision and my hands starting to ball up into a fist. In the future, I would like you to take it out by such and such a time. Now, when we set, here's the thing. When we set an expectation that, that is not, it's not a demand. I want to make that clear. Expectations are not demands. It's just a way of letting the person know what we need in the future, of what we expect in the future, so that we feel like, okay, I have a voice. I have a say. I have influence. I have some type of agency here instead of being at effect of whatever happens, happens. That's not a good feeling. A lot of us don't like uncertainty. So by setting boundaries and giving expectations, now we're, we're starting to build a foundation, starting to create boundaries, starting to feel safer in the relationship, feeling like we have an influence, feeling accepted, Right, because now you know what I expect of you, and and you know, now you know how when you do this, I feel this. And like I said, it's not a demand, and it's also not an expectation that they're gonna do it next time. It may take ten times of reminding a person what your expectations are. This is why when you start a job. It's usually a three-month trial period because it takes 90 days to learn the new rules, the new behaviors, the routines, the lingo, to learn about the culture, to figure out where you fit in, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. It takes time. I remember a long time ago, I was at a show and, and this, I met this lady and she had, I don't know if she had just gotten married. I think she was married for maybe 15, 20 years. And I asked her, I said, what, what's the key to your long marriage? And she said, we both took some time from work, time off from work, to learn about each other. We didn't work at all. We just spent time with each other for a few months. Now, of course, I, I know a lot of us, don't have the privilege of taking time off from work. But the, but the point is, if you decide to spend your life with someone or something, it doesn't have to be a person. It could be maybe you just got a pet. Maybe you have a new job or starting a new career. That it takes time to learn what the expectations are, what the boundaries are, what you are comfortable with and what you're uncomfortable with. Who we are, because who we are changes from situation to situation. It's context and environment dependent. Who Leo Flowers is at the beach is different than who Leo Flowers is in a boardroom and is different than who Leo Flowers is on stage or on a podcast or when I'm playing with kids or if I'm sitting in church, or if the room is 100 degrees, or if the room is negative 20 degrees, you're going to get different versions of Leo Flowers. And from with my boys, from when I grew up, versus if I'm with my friends that I know now, or from hanging out with Michelle's family, there are different versions of us based on time and context, where and when. Morning Leo is different than bedtime Leo. And so I'm saying all this to say when you are experiencing some type of emotional distress, anger, rage, shame, disappointment, rejection, 
we don't always have words for it. Sometimes we're not aware of what the feel, what the emotion is, but we can explain what the sensation is, what the experience, what, what our bodily experience is. Is it a shortness of breath? Does it feel like someone is pressing on your chest? Do you just naturally want to ball up into a small circle in a fetal position? Like, what is your body, how is your body responding to this current situation? You know, maybe you get in an argument with someone and you feel the need to step back from them. Or you feel the need to get closer and hug them. Maybe maybe they're crying and, you're, and your body is screaming for you to throw your arms around them or to rub their back or stroke their hair. So we don't have to have this vast, I, I, you know, a lot of episodes I talk about being able to label your emotions or label the other person's emotions. But it's much easier, I find, to be able to tune in to my bodily sensations. And that becomes an easier way for us to communicate with other people. And it also makes it easier for, the, for other people to understand what we are feeling. You know, if I say I feel lonely, the other person may not really understand what that means. That the, how I experience loneliness and how you experience it could be two different things. Or sadness or joy or excitement. It shows up differently in our bodies. So tune in whatever you're experiencing right now is it a tightening somewhere a loosening is it a, is there a cooling effect in some part of your body and this is also why at, at bedtime i listen to yoga nidra 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 i don't know <laughs> yo my nidra yoga nidra because they have these body scans and the more I listen to the body scans, over time, it makes me more aware of what my body is experiencing in the moment. Do I feel hot? Do I feel lopsided? Like, what? What's happening? Am I, am I, am I blushing? Am my cheeks turning red? Am I kind of creasing in between the eyebrows there? So I, I hope that's helpful in terms of communicating to another person what you are experiencing, what you're feeling, because it's a lot less threatening say my chest feels tight than to say I'm pissed the other person goes you think you're pissed I'm pissed and then it becomes this uh, who's more pissed battle but if you say my chest is tight you know you know who uh does this very well is Sanford and Son I don't know if you ever watched with Red Fox it's a very old sitcom from the to me, it was from the 80s, but it may have been late 70s, early 80s. I remember as a kid staying up every night to watch Sanford and Son. And it always came on after my bedtime. So I, would, I had a TV in my room, luckily. And the, our house was big enough. We had a three-bedroom. We didn't have a house. We had an apartment. But it was a very large apartment in Chicago. And so my mom would be out in the living room watching television. So I knew that it, it was, she was far enough and the TV was loud enough that she was listening to, to drown out, you know, me kind of shuffling around in my room. And I had these headphones and I'd plug them into the television and I'd watch Sanford and Son. And it, 
it was, I would laugh from beginning to end. But the part that made me laugh the most was when Sanford, uh, if you don't know, basically it's a sitcom about Sanford who's his old crotchety guy and his son who live on a junkyard uh, site. Like they, they have a junkyard business and they have like this little shack uh, on the junkyard site. And so the son is, you know, trying to create a better life for himself, but his dad kind of keeps holding him back. And every time the son threatens to leave, Sanford, the dad, acts like he's having a heart attack. He's like, oh, Louise, they coming to get me. They're trying to, oh, my, my heart. I feel it in my heart. Oh, this is the big one, Louise. And every episode, and I think finally, I think the final episode was he had, <laughs> he had a heart attack. And, and that's, you know, he, he died. Um, then that's how they closed out the, I'm sorry for the spoilers. Um, but every time he grabbed his chest and acted like he was having a heart attack, it was one funny and two, it was non-threatening and people kind of backed off and calmed down a little bit. I mean, of course he did it so many times. People are like, oh, another heart attack. But it, it, it just kind of broke the tension. It eased things to a point where they could go from yelling and screaming to having a conversation. So for you, it doesn't have to be a heart attack, but you can say, oh, I could feel my neck swelling right now. And, uh, or I just feel, I feel extremely thirsty. I have a stomachache. Stomach, it feels like I'm. Like there's like a, a, a knot in my belly, or I feel the hairs on my skin standing up. Whatever that could be for you. I want to switch gears and talk about an email I received recently. And first of all, thank you for all the emails. You can email me at leoflowers2000 at gmail.com. Any of your thoughts, ideas, you know, what you're going through, what gives you strength, courage, and hope, how the podcast has helped you, or any topics that you'd like me to speak on, um, any critiques, any way that I could uh, improve this listening experience for you. Um, and, you know, of course, I'm not going to say this person's name, but they sent me this email a few days ago, and I thought it was powerful because it was because of this email that I it kind of gave reinvigorated me. And so that's why I also end enjoy receiving your emails because when I hear about how you all are taking care of yourselves and the lessons that you've learned, it reminds me of, you know, the, the, some of the things that maybe I've forgotten or didn't even know. And so he writes, firstly, thank you for making your podcast. Suicidality is a topic which exists in the dark, largely, largely hidden away from others, but through work like yours, it doesn't need to be like that. And with that work, we can save lives and give people the chance to have experiences that they might otherwise have lost. Secondly, I wanted to share my goals with you. I am in the midst of recovering from my loss, from my last severe episode of depression to date. I have been on and off antidepressants throughout my adult life and in some kind of talking therapy almost continually. Despite that, my first referral to a psychiatrist was last year. And only since then have I become aware of the breadth of both medicinal and non-medicinal support, which is available. Finding that psychiatrist likely saved my life. I have been blessed with maybe two to three individuals at various points of my life who have been life-changing, who have had life-changing levels of influence, and the psychiatrist is one of them. Setting goals that I hate. Oh, setting goals is something that I hate with a passion. I have worked in big corporate business throughout my career, and therefore I associate the words goals with bullshit. I have never worked on setting corporate goals for either myself or others, which has had any positive value. It's all just meaningless words. But through this journey, I have rediscovered the word goals, and quite organically, I found that it can be distilled down into two. One, stay alive to get better. 
And I'm reading this to you because, and there was more to it. Uh, you know, he goes on to say, that's it. There may be others further down some list somewhere, but the only question I need to ask myself, no matter what the context work social family is, whether doing this thing will take me in the direction of my goals or further away from them. Nothing else matters. And knowing that nothing else matters is priceless. And so, you know, first, I want to thank you for that email. And second, thank you for reinvigorating me because I, reading this, rereading this, I realized that I had remembered it differently. I thought that the two things that he, that his two goals were, one is stay alive, uh, or one was keep living, and then two, set goals. So every day, I thought his number one and number two was keep living and set goals. But his number one and number two was stay alive and get better. So it's interesting, one, how I misremembered what he shared with me in this email, and two, how I reframed it, I think, in a way that resonated more and aligned more with how I would remember it and what would work for me. And that's a reminder to, you know, us listening and reading and, and hearing and learning anything is to rewrite and paraphrase and incorporate skills, tactics, ideas into a way that makes it digestible for us, right? It doesn't have to be word for word. It's like in school when a teacher asks you to write a paper and to paraphrase the ideas or paraphrase a synopsis or a summary or whatever you're reading. It's the same thing with anything that you learn. If you read like any of those articles, like 10 ways to do this or eight ways to do that, you might read the eight ways and realize, uh, you know what? I only need these three ways, right? And then you write down the three ways. So thank you for the email. And thank you for the reminder, because ever since I, I read that every day, I've been writing my goals down and, you know, and not that I, I'm crossing everything off every day, but whatever I, I didn't achieve the day before, I just carry on over to the next day. But there's something powerful about sitting down in the morning and writing out my goals, even if I know I'm not going to get to them, is just to have it fresh in my mind. And then one day I'll finally, I mean, I probably, you know, every day I'm going to have goals. So I'm never, it's never going to be an empty list, but that gives me a sense of purpose, right? I mean, the scary thing would be to wake up and have nothing to write down. So thank you for that email. And I appreciate you sharing that with me. I, I want to switch gears again and talk about being ghosted. I don't know if you've ever been ghosted before and when i say ghosted i don't just i don't mean in terms of a relationship i mean in terms of a friendship because one we know that that can cause emotional distress and, and this also links into us talking about uh preventing youth suicide but you know sometimes you're going back and forth texting with a friend maybe you're on a phone with them every day or at least once a week, and then all of a sudden, nothing. Zero dark dirty. Just goes blank. A week goes by, two, a month, months, sometimes even a year, years. And you're like, did I say something? Did I do something? What happened? And it's heartbreaking. It's so painful. It feels like one, like, like I've been abandoned, two, rejected, three, uh, I feel like inadequate sometimes. I mean, it's, it's just like uh, like you're an astronaut and somebody cut the cord to the space station. Now you're just floating out there and you're like, why did you do that? I bring it up because uh, one of my good friends from my childhood called me back finally and he said i'm sorry man i know i haven't been returning your phone calls he, and he shared that 
he's gone through a lot of mental health issues to the point where uh, he's going to take a leave of absence, check himself into a uh, facility for a little bit. And he's looking to start taking meds. And he's my age. He's like 45, 46. And he just realized that uh, he's been going through too much. And he finally got a diagnosis. And he said the cool thing about having a diagnosis, because he never really went to therapy before, but he said now that he has a clear diagnosis because they've been able to trace his patterns, he feels a sense of relief. But getting to the ghosting part, he goes, I didn't return your phone calls, Leo, because I knew you would hold me accountable. He said, man, I was just out there wilding. I was spending money. I was, you know, with this girl and that girl. I was doing this and doing that. And I knew that you would be one of those people to, you wouldn't tolerate that. And you would be in my ear and, and talking to me about, um, you know, what I need to do and, you know, trying to keep my head right. And I, I didn't want to hear any of that. I don't want to hear none of, I don't want to hang out. You know, I just, I wanted to do what I was doing. And I don't want to have a conscious about it. I didn't, I didn't want to be aware. And now that, you know, physically, occupationally, socially, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, now that all that is, now that he's hit rock bottom on all of those levels, now, now he is like, I need help. I, I can't, the people I was with, the things I was doing, I can no longer do. And I, and I have to start it all over. Or I have to take, not start all over, but take a few steps back. So I bring this up for two reasons. One is I, I feel like a lot of us have been ghosted where people stop calling, stop reaching out, and we don't know why. And we don't realize that it's because, you know, we're that accountable person. They look up to us. They care what we think, and they don't want us to see them like that. And it's good to remember that because a lot of times people stop calling. We think it's about us. I mean, it is about us, but it's not about us in a way that we usually think it is. We usually think in a negative of, you know, I said something bad or did something wrong or I offended them in some kind of way. When really it's like, uh, I, I, I want to go get into, get into some bad behavior and I don't, I don't want an angel around. I want all devils. All right. And then other reason why I'm bringing this up is, you know, the fact that he is stepping back. Sometimes we have to step back from the momentum of our success so that because you know he's got this high paying job he's got a beautiful apartment like he's he's you know he's externally successful and and some of I know some of us are externally successful and we don't want to lose that momentum so instead of getting the help we need we just we keep going forward. We keep, we keep showing up. We show up early. We stay late. Achieve, achieve, achieve. And we burn ourselves out, and we never get the help we need. And then we burn out, and we, or we quit, or we want to end our lives. And it's okay take a few steps back there was an article in the new york times i'm trying to find it now uh about this um oh she was miss usa 2019 um and she ended her life but i want to tell her story because her story is a lot of people's story and and when we hear people's stories, 
that are similar to ours, then maybe we'll get the help that we need before it's too late. So her name is Chesley Christ or Chesley Christ. Uh, She's a model. And the New York Times just did a write-up about her a few days ago. Like I said, today's September 29th, so I think this is a September 27th or 6th article. And she was, so here's her pedigree, right? Here, here are all the list of all the, the things. Uh, she was Miss USA in 2019 at the age of 28. So, and she was the oldest to win. So first Miss USA, boom, right? And then the oldest to win Miss USA, boom, 28. Um, and then she was, uh, you know, she was, she had this image of being a strong black woman, right? And, and the problem with being a strong black woman is that, you know, if you show any weakness or if you ask for help, it's seen as weakness. So she never asked for any help. Although at the, when she was in the a law program, right, she, she went to school at, where was this, Wake Forest, and she was a dual major in law and business administration. And while she was a student, she attempted suicide, right? Um, but kept going. She needed money to pay for the dual degree program. So that's when, uh, that's when she decided to run for Miss USA. So basically, she ran for Miss USA 2019 to help get money to pay for her dual degree. But even before that, she was a high achiever, right? She was one of those people who was high achieving, but always suffering, right? She was the second of four children. Her mother was musically inclined, father a bodybuilder. So there, there were expect, there were high, it was a high standard set in the household, it seemed like. Her parents divorced, mom remarried, a uh, guy with two sons. But going back to Chelsea, uh, Chesley, she was academically gifted, captain of her cheer squad, captain of her track team, president of uh, a beta, a president of the Beta Club. She was a honor. She was on an honor roll at the University of South Carolina, and then, like I said, dual degrees at Wake Forest in um, in law and business administration, and then, but that's when her mental health started to decline. Right. And then that's when she attempted suicide for the first time while she was in the program. And then she became an attorney specializing in civil litigation and then became part of the Buried Alive Project, which helps to seek relief for the unjustly sentenced. That's a lot. School, 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 sport, 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 job, job, job. Because Miss USA is not a vacation you just don't win get flowers and then get to go home no it's a job it it has demands duties appearances engagements there's so much to do when you are miss usa and so when you become miss usa and you still have your job she had to take some time off from work it was too much to do both but you know strong black woman and I know all my listeners aren't strong black women, but you, I know a lot of us are people who may feel like we have to just keep achieving, 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 even though we're suffering, suffering, suffering. And so to, to tie in her story, and so finally, um, a few months ago, she ended her life. Ended her life. And she was uh, turning 30. And she had this fear of turning 30 for whatever reason. There was something about turning 30 where she felt like she was going to be old, washed up. It was the end of her life. But also just struggling with mental health issues the whole time. That's a lot of stress. There's the physical stress of playing sports and, and, and then not also playing sports, but being the captain so you're the leader you're out front so you have to set an example and then you have other siblings so there's probably that and then you're trying to live up to the expectations of your parents so there's that 
And so she's probably achieving, 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 doing what others expected her to do and never really tuning into what she wanted or what she needed. And what she needed was to take some time to let herself let go of this idea of achieving, accomplishing, and momentum. And that, like I said, it's easier said than done. There is a financial component to this. And there may be some other things going on that not even aware of. I would imagine playing all those sports, there may have been injuries. There may have been some physical pain that she was going through. There may have been uh, drugs she was taking to stay high-functioning, to stay up, to wake up early, to get stuff done, to stay thin. There was, there's probably so much more to the story, and we don't know what kind of parenting styles her parents had, what the genetic history of her family is. But all that to say, I'm, I'm so proud of my friend for recognizing that it was all too much. And now stepping back, checking himself into a outpatient clinic and now getting the help that he needs. And, you know, as adults, we have a bit more of that autonomy, right? If you, if you're married with kids, you may feel like you have no, (laughs) you may feel like you have no autonomy. Like you have no time to yourself to do anything. Everything you're doing is for everybody else. All your resources have to go to them. But at least to start planning and preparing. Just putting a little bit away so that you can get away. Even if it's for a spa treatment. Let's jump into this youth suicide prevention. And as I shared that um, a lot of these notes are coming from a suicide prevention conference I attended via Zoom. They do it once a year. And I'm always blown away by what the speakers share. And this speaker was Dr. Jonathan Singer. Dr. Jonathan Singer. And so for youth suicide prevention, and I'll, I'll go through this pretty quickly. He said that, one, the risk factors for suicide in youth, one is emotional distress. And we've already addressed that. We've, we've talked about how to handle emotional distress uh, and emotional distress is, you know, they're crying uncontrollably. It's like an extreme change of mood where they're really crying a lot or maybe they're, they're more isolated, closing the door, not wanting to talk. Um, you can tell emotional distress, they're wearing the same thing over and over again. Just you're looking for a drastic change in behavior. So it's not, if you have a, a kid who always, you know, closes the door and keeps to themselves, you might just have an introverted kid. But if you have a kid who's typically outgoing and social, and then all of a sudden um, is needing to be private or secret, you might just want to check in. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean emotional distress. Sometimes it's just what teenagers do, but it's about keeping that line of communication open so that you can notice these subtle things. Um, or where everything, you'll also notice emotional distress by the words where it's uh, kind of this black and white thinking that a lot of kids have where it's like, everyone is out to get me. Nobody likes me. The, the entire world, you know, uh, where it just, they, and they just like this extreme frustration with everything in the world around them where they feel like they just can't get a break. Um, And so school issues like getting bullied, even their grades, if they sometimes, you know, a kid will get a A minus. And I, I know from, you know, just the clients that I've coached and, you know, other people that I've talked to, a, a, a minus to some kids is like a F like anything 
you know, below perfect can really. So if you're a parent and your kid is upset because they got an A minus instead of an A, take that seriously. Not that, oh, my kid might end their life, but listen to them. Give them a safe space to vent and share their emotions about it and validate it. Say, oh, man, I'd be pissed too. That sucks. But then, you know, once you help them to get their emotions out, where do you feel that? Do you feel that in your, where do you feel upset? You're upset? You're angry? Yeah. Is that in your chest? Yeah, it's in my chest. What about your, your hands or your stomach? Do you feel tight anywhere else? In my face, you know. So helping them kind of tune into the sensation of their anger or frustration. And then what you can do is help them uh, look at their strategy, their approach, their preparation. Like, okay, so how did you study for the test? Well, you know, I made index cards and I, I read the whole chapter. Okay, well, did you talk to the teacher privately? Did you ask the teacher any extra questions? Do we need to get you a tutor? Like seeing how you can change how they prepare and approach it differently so that the kid then feels empowered and learns to be solution focused. So you're teaching the kid two things. One is you're teaching them that they can have all their feelings, the anguish, the hurt, the rejection, the pain, the tears, the, the, the yelling into a pillow, whatever that is. And then once they've gotten all that out and they're, they're closer to uh, you know, a uh, uh, one or two, as opposed to being at a heightened 10, then you go, all right, so how do you want to change your approach next time? Uh, or, and what did you learn? Did you learn anything while you, oh, that's the other thing is to then, you know, yes, you got an A minus, uh, but to show the kid that although they didn't get an A, they learned something. There's something that was fascinating to them. There's something that it piqued their curiosity. There's a uh, there's something that they enjoyed about the lesson. So to remind them of that, like it's not just about the grade. It's about did you even enjoy the process? Did you like studying? Would you prefer to study in a group or would you prefer to study by yourself? Do you prefer to study in the morning or in the evening? Like how do we how do we spice this up and have some fun with your with your studying? So, you know, grades are really big uh, for kids. And, and same thing with sports. You know, that's the same thing that applies. If, the, if they play uh, any type of sport and they lose, um, it, you know, it could be really – or maybe sometimes the team wins, but the kid's performance wasn't great. You know, they fumbled or whatever. So just to help them go over the process, all right, yeah, that, that does suck. And where do you feel it in your body? And – uh, but what did you learn from that? Oh, yeah, you know, I was holding it in my right arm. Maybe I should hold it in my left arm. And then, you know, so what are we going to practice? How are we going to prepare differently next time? So you're always talking about what the emotions are and then what the experience was. And um, and then uh, how are we, how are we going to prepare what the mistakes were, right? How, you know, how did we or where did we drop the ball? Where were the gaps? And then how do we fill that in for next time? Um, another other risk factors for kids are conflicts. You know, they get into fights with kids. Uh, there might be a conflict with another student. Could be a conflict with a teacher. It could be a conflict with a family member. You know, if you, if they, if you have three or four siblings, there could be some type of fighting or disputes happening, you know, once the lights go, go off uh, at night or once you know, maybe in the back seat of the car, just little things. You know, kids, they they have their, they know when we're not looking. They know, they, they learn how to get away with what they need to get away with. So uh, just tuning in and making sure that there's uh, no conflicts taking place. Because sometimes there's a conflict to the kid, but there's not, but the other people are unaware. That they that they even care about it because the kid's just not saying anything, um, and then we also have as a risk factor intimate partner relationship issues, so breakups, or you know getting being ghosted, the girl not calling, or a person stops calling, or you know whatever that is um, relationship issues, um, and then 
crisis proceeding. Uh, okay. And now, he also shared, uh, Dr. Jonathan Singer, shared that suicides in kids, is, he spoke specifically about kids, uh, it spikes four times in, uh, during the year, or three times. January, January because it's like back to school, and so then the kid, uh, if the kid is having trouble with bullies, they may end their life because they are afraid of seeing the bully again. Like they just had a two to three week reprieve from the bully. They got used to that, and they're like, "This is nice." And they're like, "Oh, I got to go back to that." They dread it so much that you know they end their life there, and then. April, they may end their life because of midterms. So three things happen here in April, midterms, allergies, and prom. So so many things happen in April, right? So once again, we're going back to the grades and the pressure of grades. And also, you know, especially if they're in high school, you have those standardized tests that have to be taken. And then allergies, allergies change our sleep cycle. So if you have a kid on meds, the meds, if the meds change and um, and the circadian rhythm changes, it, you know, th- that can cause issues. And then you have the extra um, uh, uptick in inflammation in the body from allergies, right? So you have allergies, inflammation, s- effects uh, on a sleep cycle. Um, so you may notice your kid is sleeping more or less in, in April. And then also you have prom where if they're having relationship issues, dating, or even struggling with their sexuality, you know, prom becomes a thing where either they don't have a date or the date that they do have, um, they're not, (laughs) they're not happy about. Uh, And it's just, there's so many things that can happen or they're, or they do have a date and then they're afraid of being bullied at the prom, right? Like, oh, I heard that the kids are going to do this. To, to me, you know, on the way to prom or before prom or, I mean, just so many things can happen on a night where kids are partying, dancing, you know, alcohol is involved and, uh, you know, there's minimal adult supervision around, right? So, and then October, once again, we come back to a time where there's midterms. So January, April, October, and, and, and so it's really about those transitional periods uh, that have to either do with uh, bullies, grades, and or uh, allergies that we have to look out for. Uh, now, when we look at youth suicide, bisexual students had highest rates of suicidal thoughts. And what they believe it's because of the um it's the it's not clear it's the it's the vague or uncertainty of what their sexuality is nothing is more destructive to a person uh one of the or i should say one of the most destructive things to an individual is uncertainty and so if you're a kid who i have friends who are gay and friends who are straight friends who are bi and are friends who are gay and they they go man i just knew from day one and they just have a a they just seem more centered, grounded, more confident. And then, you know, and as are my friends who are straight. And so it's the, the ones who are bisexual where it's like, I don't know which one I, you know, which, which side am I on? And, and so there's that confusion and that struggle and that anxiety of, of where do I fit in? How do I fit in? And, and then it kind of feels like this imposter syndrome and it's just layers upon layers upon layers. So we see the highest uh, rates of suicidal thoughts in students who are bisexual. Um, Now, a lot of, this was interesting. He talked about kids being on their cell phone. And he said that kids are not addicted to their cell phone. They're addicted to each other. And, And that's such a key point. I'll say it again. Kids aren't addicted to the cell phone. They're addicted to each other. It's such a key point because when we think about breakups, well, first of all, when we think about addiction, like that means if you're addicted to food, drugs, sex, alcohol, you got to get your fix. 
like you'll you'll go into withdrawal symptoms. You, uh, yeah, and, and you'll, you'll spiral out and you start tweaking and um, and you you might even attempt to end your life because you, you just need that fix and you you obsess and you'll do anything to get it. And if you can't get it, it just feels like the world is ending, right? And so imagine if you're addicted to people and then that person you're addicted to stops calling, ghosts you, or they break up with you, or you think that they were your friend and they were just using you, and then they, they shame and embarrass you. So that could lead to suicidal thoughts and attempts. So they're addicted to each other. And so if you see your kid on their phone, instead of like, oh, you got to get off your phone, it's like make sure you're creating a space where the kids can be with each other. And then also check in with how they're communicating with each other, seeing if there's any conflicts, any unresolved issues, any resentments, regrets, any, any simmering hatred or jealousy or envy. That's what you want to be focused on. Don't be focused on the phone. Focus on the emotions and the tone and the way of communicating via the phone. That, that's what's valuable there. Um, look out, speaking of phones, look out for text with Kermit Sewer Slide. So you, we know that kids are big on, emo, on emojis, and, and they'll have uh, kids who are thinking about suicide will send out a text with Kermit the Frog, Kermit, and then uh, a picture of a sewer, and then a slide. So it's commit suicide or Kermit sewer slide, right? Uh, so looking out for that emoji, uh, it's a it's a it's a meme or a gif actually, where it's just uh, Kermit uh, going down a slide and talking about ending his life. So to be on the lookout for that. Now, as a parent, you're like, well, as a parent, what do I really do? It's there's one there's one thing for parents, and one thing for if you're a teacher practitioner. Um, I don't know why I said practitioner. So if you're a parent, and your kid is sharing their emotional distress with you, or whatever they're going through, all you have to do is listen. Listen. Don't lecture. Listen. Don't. Fix, feel. Say it again. Don't lecture them. You need to do this and you need to do that. And why were you out there hanging out with them anyway? And what were you thinking? And when you feel living in this house, uh, don't lecture. Listen. Because if the, the kids, remember their emotions are the, the, the hormones, the chemicals surging through their body. It's so much. They don't know how to handle this. They don't know what this is. They don't have understanding of their bodies yet and their hormones and the, and the chemicals and, and, and their genetics. They, they don't really know the history of the family. So listen to them. When, when kids are emotionally distressed, all you have to do is listen and keep them talking. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. That must have sucked. Tell me more. I can't believe that. Tell me more. Say what? Tell me more. And then what? Tell me more. After that, what happened? What'd you do? Oh, what'd you think about that? Tell me more. Sheesh, that's, that sounds awful. Tell me more. Listen, don't lecture. Feel what they're feeling. Don't fix what they're going through. If you're a teacher, for all my teachers out there, and this actually goes for parents also, uh, Dr. Jonathan Singer found that teachers who played chess with kids saw bullying decrease. It was a school in Fontana, California. And, and I know you're like, chess, come on, man. What, what are we talking about right now? 
But here's the point. The point is that kids who bully have been bullied for the most part. Violence begets violence. So if the kid has been bullied at home by the parents, abused, neglected, yelled at, beaten, they're gonna, they need to take that out somewhere. They need to channel that energy somewhere. And chess is great because it's, a, it's an aggressive game. It's very aggressive, but it also requires thinking. So it requires both aggression and strategy and thinking about the bigger picture. It requires you to think three to 10 steps ahead versus immediacy. So the kids then learn how to manage their emotions more effectively. And then there's also not just about the game of chess. It's about the fact that someone is spending time with them in a very safe and secure environment, right? You're playing chess. You're not bagging on them or talking down to them. or It's not like basketball where you miss a shot and everybody's like, oh, or, you know, making fun of you. Like chess is a pretty stoic game for the most part. And, you know, if you make a mistake, people are very quick to, you know, uh, to think about strategy and talk about strategies and what to do for next time. And, oh, you know, I love how you move there. I, you know, what were you thinking there? And, and how did you do that? that? That really scared me when you moved your bishop to E9. So it's about, you know, if chess is not available to you, it's just about spending some time with the kids that have nothing to do with algebra, history, English. You're just having fun, play, adults playing with kids. And we see that in those old movies where, you know, the father takes the kid out in the backyard and is playing catch, tossing the ball back and forth. That's when people open up about what's really bothering them, about what's really on their mind. Or just playing a little one-on-one basketball. But, you know, to find something one-on-one, beanbag tossing, bowling, shooting, you know, playing billiards. There's so many ways, darts, all these one-on-one activities that really allow a safe space for intimacy, sharing, a lot of times a kid won't share in the household because they're afraid of who else might be listening in. They're afraid, excuse me, they're afraid mom might be listening in or a sibling or someone else or they're just tired. Maybe they're just tired of being in the house. Maybe it's just the energy of the house. They got to get away from it so they, they can start to, you know, zoom out a little bit and actually get a sense of what their options are so that they're not reactive, so that now they can be responsive. So I hope this episode was helpful and useful to you. Uh, Please keep the emails coming, leoflowers2000 at gmail. Um, Then we also remember, you know what, let's all take a big inhale. Hold for five. And exhale. Let's do it one more time. Big inhale. Hold for five. And exhale. Really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, And, uh, you know, I urge you to write down. You know, what your goals are, tiny goals, laundry, dishes, whatever that might be. Something, you know, start with what's right in front of you, right in front of you. It could be folding clothes, taking a shower, but just writing down some goals, even if they're ridiculous. All right, I've I've shared enough. It's past my bedtime. Uh, Oh, last thing I want to share with you, this will be my last 
Thursday episode until 2023 uh, because I need to. So don't worry. I have enough episodes for we'll still get your weekly episode. Um, but those will be with guests only. This will be the last solo episode until 2023 so that I can take a break, a reprieve, a step back and recharge my batteries so I can continue to provide you with the enthusiasm and passion and joy uh, that you've come to know me by. Uh, so yeah, you'll still get your episodes every week, every week. And, and I'm, I'm so excited because we have some awesome guests coming up. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm excited. I, I haven't been this excited in a long time. But uh, but I, like I said, this will be my last solo episode for the next uh, three months, October, November, December. So I appreciate you tuning in. You can always email. I still, if you respond to me on email, or if you shoot me an email at leoflowers2000 at gmail or on Instagram, leoflowers2000 um, or Twitter, leoflowersforreal, any of those, I will respond to that. Uh, you can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Peace.